Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody. Uh, uh, we got a, um, a harrowing but funny one today because my guest is Senator Tammy Duckworth. Her book... Every Day is a Gift is both harrowing and really funny. <laughs> and uh, it uh, chronicles her life with a focus on uh, her being shot down, the pilot of a Black Hawk helicopter in Iraq, and uh, her rehabilitation. Um, and as I say, unbelievably harrowing. But also, uh, we, we had a great time uh, discussing this, and she has a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor, and so do I. So, <laughs> so it's a harrowing but funny one for a change. Um, well, Liz Cheney uh, is willing to give up her leadership post in the Republican House caucus. Uh, she's been third in leadership uh, as conference chair. Uh, the conference chair actually has no formal defined role. It's really kind of a plum that you get for being a um, either a well-known or very promising popular figure with uh, some promise uh, in the party. Uh, Liz Cheney took a stand. She says that the presidential election was not stolen by Joe uh, Biden. Very brave, very brave. Uh, she must be one of those people that I don't know, thinks God is keeping track of everything. Look, the truth is that all God cares about is whether you consider him God or not. He's very, very status-driven, and what matters to him more is not, not so much who believes in him, but whoever does, the higher their status, the better. So he's thrilled that the woman replacing Liz Cheney, Elise Stefanik, the 36-year-old representative from, I believe, the Albany area of New York is uh, someone who claims, at least, that she worships him. And whether it's true or not, God doesn't really care. It's just, uh, so it's all kind of awkward. On uh, Thursday, uh, Mitch McConnell was asked about that flap, uh, specifically the Liz Cheney flap, and to avoid having to say anything about that awkward situation, he deliberately made news by saying he, he wasn't giving that matter any thought, but instead said, 100% of my focus is on standing up to this administration. What we have in the United States Senate is total unity, from Susan Collins to Ted Cruz, in opposition to what the new Biden administration is trying to do to this country. And, of course, that's exactly what he did during the Barack Obama administration. He filibustered more executive appointees than had been filibustered previously in the entire history of the country. And, of course, all kinds of legislation, and that was mainly what the hell he did. But evidently, he miscalculated, you know, a tad, because his pollsters must have pointed out to him that a lot of Biden's agenda, if not a vast majority of his agenda is very popular uh, with the American people. So he was asked about that again the next day. Uh, Mr. Leader, are you uh, really just willy-nilly going to oppose everything President Biden is uh, going to try to do? Uh, well, uh, first, well, you know, we have to see what, what that agenda is. And the press, you know, they just went, eh. 
You know, McConnell reverses himself on a dime. That's not a story. <laughs> so it's a great time to be on the Hill. Hey, uh, we've got a great one today. Harrowing, but funny, you know, for a change. Because Tammy Duckworth is with me today, the great Tammy Duckworth. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Thank you, Tammy, for joining me today. This is your uh, second time on the podcast. You joined us uh, for about five minutes last September after the Atlantic Monthly reported uh, that Trump didn't want amputees to attend military parades because he reportedly said no one wants to see that. <laughs> so, uh, thank you. Well, at least we don't have to see him anymore. So that there's something. There's been an improvement. Yeah, no one wants to see that. I'll tell you that. And uh, and by the way, thank you for being grievously wounded. <laughs> that cracks me up every time. <laughs> That's uh, kind of a. It's not an inside joke. It's in. It's in the it's damn in the book. book. Yeah. <laughs> it's not an inside but, joke anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I came to, uh, you know, I, I used to do USO tours, so I came, uh, I visited you uh, and at Walter Reed a number of times, and I would, I'd take Polaroids with the soldiers there who were wounded, and I'd write, thank you for your service, and at a certain point, you, you'd say, uh, you said, um, people don't, they don't really like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just, everybody says it, and it, it, it becomes a little bit meaningless, because it's not said with like real meaning behind it, you know. And we appreciate that. Yeah, and I did it. not yeah. mean it. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you said, "Don't sign a thank you for your service." So that's when I started writing, "Thank you for being grievously wounded." And man, it got a laugh every time. Yeah, they all love it. We all yeah. love it because we know that we know that there's like a personal engagement. That's the difference, <laughs> you know. We used to call it. I, I talk about this in the book. We used to call it the amputee petting zoo. And you knew who was there for you and who was there just for the, you know, photo and the press release. And you were there for us. I read that in the book and you said that someone would bring in a professional photographer and take a picture and then yeah. they'd leave with the picture. And then yeah, leave with, you, would, you would never see the picture until you saw it in a press release or something later on. And you're like, okay, they're not there for me. They're just there for themselves. That's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> That is so weird. Because I, I've been uh, doing these USO tours, I was asked if I wanted to uh, go to Walter Reed, and I said, well, of course. Uh, but the first time I went there, I was so scared. I thought to myself, how am I supposed to cheer these guys up, you know? And so uh, the first guy there I saw w was leaning up against a wall, and he 
and he had a, his, his leg was missing. And I, I said to him, uh, uh, what happened to you? And he said, you know, I came in here for a vasectomy. <laughs> and then I went, oh, I get it. I, I'm, they're supposed to, I, okay. <laughs> and then I was fine, you know, yeah. and then I just had a good time. We had a good time when I saw yeah. you. You came in in the evening. After, you know, a long day of, of me being really tired and everything, you came in in the evening and, and perked me up. It was nice. <laughs> well, boy, this is a harrowing book in terms of what you went through in your recovery. You, man, oh, man, it, it's pretty grisly. You get uh, hit by a, a rocket-propelled grenade, RPG, right? Yep. Uh-huh. In, in your uh, Blackhawk. Yeah. And it pretty much explodes like kind of hits you <laughs> it does it explodes in my lap yeah it basically hits my right leg there ain't nothing left of that leg <laughs> yeah that's gone that's gone yep uh, it's very harrowing and uh you speak so highly you write so highly of all the guys uh on your crew and 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 on the other crew that that, that came down there but they almost oh they did assume you were dead mm-hmm. for part of it and then they saw no there's you're still bleeding so that means you're pumping blood so your heart's still going but gee whiz wow holy mackerel wow that it was friggin' horrible and then the recovery is even in many ways the pain that you describe and the phantom pain and the well, I don't want to ruin the book here. I don't want to ruin any surprises. <laughs> well, no, you know what? You, you, this is like, you're talking about the middle of the book when like, this is like the most, you know, this is the the, the harrowing uh, shoot down. But I hope you laughed out loud at different parts of the book because I talk about my childhood in Southeast Asia and coming to the U.S. for the first time. I did not know that you spent essentially, well, you did. You spent your first 16 years in Southeast Asia. Yeah, following my dad around. My dad was a, a, a Vietnam vet and decided he didn't want to come back to the States. So he just kept us overseas. And so I was like a military brat, but with United Nations refugee programs, basically. He, he was bringing aid to refugees all throughout Southeast Asia. And, and, and uh, your mom is Chinese Thai or Thai Chinese? She so is she's ethnically Chinese. Ethnically and- Chinese, born and raised in Thailand. She's the first child and only child in her family born in Thailand. They because her her parents fled. Um, they were they were you know, a small town shopkeepers, but they fled Mao Zedong. Uh, they fe- ah. they fled the communists. And 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 there's a lot of ups and downs uh, in your childhood in terms of your family's economic status and your your dad at first doing pretty well and then not so well and finally. At age 16, you, your brother, and your dad go to Hawaii, leaving your mom back there. And then Hawaii ain't so hot either in terms of your dad seems to be hitting the bottom there, right? He is, yeah. I, in the book, I describe it almost like he kept trying to find the kind of job that he had had, where he was a managing director or something, you know, a, a, a big job. And he was in his 50s, but not, at this point, he had been unemployed for five years. We had no money left. We were in Hawaii because it was the cheapest place we could get to in terms of a plane ticket from Thailand that was U.S. soil. And so what I needed... He's an American, so you can go there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we, what we needed was for him to go get a job as a hotel porter or a front desk guy or something. He just wouldn't apply for those. He just kept... He was in denial. Um, And so we hit rock bottom where, you know, but for the grace of a 90-year-old lady with American Legion Auxiliary who wrote us a personal check, we would have been homeless. Yeah, well, she she saves your ass as soon as you arrive there, basically. Mm -hmm. But then you save your family's ass, or at least your brother and uh, your dad, by hustling a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I got I got the only job, you know, in the family. I, I I handed out flyers on the beach in Waikiki. You know, I had to figure out at sixteen who I should hit up with the booze cruise flyers versus the romantic dinner cruise flyers. <laughs> it was a snap judgment. Yeah, and that trained you, of course, for the Senate. <laughs> well, you know what it was at preparing the Senate was hustling on the beach volleyball court pretending to not know what I was doing. Now, and, that uh, was hustling, by the way. That was, I. <laughs> it was like you're a pool shark, except you're a volleyball shark. Yeah. So you'd be walking in your, like, 
a bikini and a sarong. What 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 else? What were you wearing? A sarong. Yeah, I I, I would. There is a next to the um, Hilton Hawaiian <laughs> Holiday Resort. There's a beach okay. volleyball court that um, Howleys mainlanders would come and 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 you know basically fraternity bros would come and you know and I'd hang out there in my bikini with my sarong on, sitting on the beach, just looking out to the ocean. And I had like this guy that I would. I didn't know him very well, but I, you know, he's another local and he would play with them and then they would, you know, challenge him to imagine he would just pick me because, you know what? I'll just pick her. <laughs> yeah, they go, and then oh, we would kick okay. Yeah. And then you kick their ass. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be two guys against him, he and I. Yeah. And then they break your thumbs. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the hustler. That's a different movie. No, that's a different movie. No, yeah. I knew, I knew when to get out. <laughs> I knew when to leave once I made, you know, I, I wasn't greedy. Al. I, I just needed to make enough money to buy, you know, enough food for the family for the week. So. Yeah. And that was a pretty modest place. That was, you slept on a, essentially a couch and mm-hmm. uh, there, and then you got your mom there finally. And uh, you moved to, you, you go to the university of Hawaii Yep. Uh, and your family moves to Virginia, where your dad is from. Mm-hmm. Oh, I want to ask you some, about something there, right? Your brother, Tommy, Tom, yep. you say he's like a boogie boarder, and he is so good that he's gonna, like get, at 15 going to get a contract or something. I'm yep. going like, I've boogie boarded. It's the easiest thing in the world. Now, I... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> How good can you get at boogie boarding? Very good. They go out on those. They go out <laughs> on those big waves, like like the surfers do. That you know, pipeline stuff. I mean, they they go out on those waves that kill you. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So there's like whole that. competitions for money and everything with boogie boarding. With yeah, and so he he got really really good. And then my folks left for Virginia and took him with them because there's yeah. no way he was. They were going to leave. He was him fifteen. Behind. Yeah, he was fifteen. That is the most relaxing thing i've ever done in my life oh yeah not the way tom does it <laughs> well no 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 yeah. well, the way i did it <laughs> which is just it in hawaii you can catch wave after wave after wave after wave yep as easy as pie and it's just like perfect and a boogie board you don't have to do anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> you have fins so you can move a little bit and oh my god so okay now i understand that that was really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he would go in the, he would go in the, in the pipelines and, and they do like flips and spins and all sorts of stuff. Okay. You know? I didn't do that. <laughs> I would, I would pay to see you do that actually, Al. You could turn yeah, pro. <laughs> you'd pay to see me break my neck and die. <laughs> okay. So, uh, okay. Now we got you now to Hawaii <laughs> and then you graduate from uh, college there mm-hmm. and then you go to graduate school. But then you join the army. Yes. Okay, I got the order right. You meet Brian at advance, like an advanced boot camp kind of thing? I did two years of ROTC instead of four years. So in order to do that, I had to go to basic training, which equaled the first two years. And then I had a year, which was my junior year of ROTC. That happened to be Brian's senior year. He was an upperclassman. So... The the fourth year cadets trained the third year cadets. So this was the in-between year when the fourth year cadets were training us, getting us ready to go to the advanced camp the next summer. So, we so would get he's evaluated. training you. They're just the um, upperclassmen cadets and they're training you. So you would go off, you know, like we would go off to Fort Meade, Maryland for a long weekend and they would make us, you know, do a grenade assault course and they would make us, you know, run around, be play infantry in the woods. Um, you know, do prisoner of war searches and things so like that. So what was his pickup line? Uh, the women at advance camp are fucked up. That that's was his, his pickup, pickup line. line. That's what that's what got you. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what got me. That, that got my attention and that pissed me off. And apparently mm-hmm. he saw that it pissed me off. So he came over afterwards and apologized and um, helped me clean my M16. And by the time we were done cleaning my M16, he had my he had my phone number. He's pretty smooth. Okay, but this is how smooth he is, because I read that chapter, and he both apologizes for that, and then later denies that he said it. Yes, to this day, he says, <laughs> okay. to this day, that's he says, that that's smooth. not the real story. He said, the official story of our family is that he said it, because that's what happened. 
But he claims that the real story, which is his version, which is not the official, you know, sanctioned story, is that it was another guy who said it, but he agreed with him. As if that's any better. So basically your marriage is based on a lie. <laughs> but man, oh man, he uh, he's there for you and uh, is dealing with something after you're blowed up. I blowed up And uh, the description of the pain is because uh, I really I don't know about other our listeners I don't like pain <laughs> yeah, me and neither. if you don't like pain folks read this book and you get an idea of like holy crap I I don't I don't know how she did this because there's phantom pain like your feet you're still feeling your feet burning right yeah, I, I, I get phantom pain to this day. So I have phantom sensation where I feel my toes, I can wiggle them. That's actually for me kind of pleasant mentally because it feels like I still have toes. But uh, I feel like the, the soles of my feet are constantly, I'm constantly walking on hot sand. So that I feel that 100% of the time. Okay. And then the, the other stuff is much worse than that. It's, the breakthrough it, phantom pain kind of And sucks. you pass out from the pain. and mm-hmm. and then But you have people come, other people who are amputees, who come and come to Walter Reed and are with you and yeah. really save save your life in many ways, right? Yeah. I, I, I think to this day, Juanita Wilson saved my life because at one point the pain was so bad, I, I didn't know that I could survive. It's funny because I got hit with the RPG and I wasn't worried about surviving. I was worried about landing the helicopter. I, I get into the emergency room at Baghdad ER and I'm just worried about my guys. I'm not worried about surviving. But the only time when I'm actually worried and I think that I'm not going to live, I can't, I, I can't take this pain anymore. Um, Sergeant First Class Juanita Wilson comes into my room, takes off her artificial limb and stands next to me and just says, it's going to get better. Can I help you count? And at the, I had been reduced at this point to counting to 60 seconds. Um, at a time, because I thought, I, I don't know that I'll live another 15 minutes, but maybe I can hang on for 60 seconds. And I was just laying there. I laid there for five days counting to 60 seconds. And she stood beside me. Is that a phenomenon that you kind of get, if you give up, you die? I don't you know. think? I think. That's what it felt like, right? That's what it felt like. It felt like yeah. if I gave, if I stopped counting, I would die. When she told you it, it gets better, that that kept you going. Yeah. And she just stood and she radiated without touching me because she was the one person who understood. Like my mom would come and stroke my hair um, or lean against the bed to stroke my hair. And that every everything that touched me, even somebody touching one end of the bed and the sheets would move, just sent like shooting pain through my body. But I had no more energy left to even say, stop, that hurts. I, I just had to take it. I, I the all the all the energy I had left was just left, all I could do was just breathe and try to count. I I couldn't even waste a breath to say, stop, mom, that hurts. But Juanita understood, and she stood next to my bed, and she didn't touch me. She just radiated this peace, this serenity that I just, it was a tiny little thread of hope, and I just just clung to that. And there are a number of people like like that in in your book who come back all the time to Walter Reed and who... You know, the double amputee who um, his wife was a cookie lady and he was sort of the um, how to have sex guy. That wasn't the way you put it. <laughs> yeah, this is the porter. The Tom and L porter are Korean War veterans. At the time, he was like 76 or 78 and just tall, distinguished, silver-haired, um, uh, you know, good old boy from Oklahoma. His wife is from New Hampshire, Vermont, and she's a vet- Vietnam. She's a Korean War veteran as well, so she was a lieutenant herself. They met, you know, um, at the hospital where she was a physical therapist, and they became the sex talk couple. Like, you know, these eighteen-year-old guys who lost both their legs, badly scarred. You know, they didn't know if a girl was ever going to love them. And Tom and El Porter would be there and say, "We found love after he lost his legs," and you can ask us anything. And they became the sex talk couple. You you write him saying like uh, to to these double amputee guys, oh man, you'll get you'll get women. 
Oh yeah, he, he, he would tell them it's it's better it's better than having a puppy. <laughs> it's a conversation starter. Yeah. <laughs> now, again, I I go back to these things. Uh, you lost fifty percent of your blood, right? Yeah, we think so. Something like that. I mean, it took forty units, which I don't know how much is in a human body, but and most people yeah. like would say you're half empty but i i'm an optimist and i like to think that you're half full yeah see that's me and 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 leaking <laughs> in a lot of places <laughs> they had to plug me back up in a lot of spots <laughs> now tell me about i think this happened before like maybe a day or two before i met you that rumsfeld came to see you oh yeah or was there or was there and they asked they, they came into your room and said uh Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld is here, and uh, of course you would like to see the Secretary of Defense. And I said, heck no. <laughs> and then they did a double take, and they said, what? I said, well, I, I, if it's an order, he's in my, he's in my chain of command, I'll, I'll have to see him. But if it's not an order, then I don't want that man crossing the threshold of my door. And then the next day, <laughs> I love this. I love this. That's the first time they sent you a psychiatrist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've lost both legs. The yep. use of one arm, no psychiatrist. No psychiatrist. <laughs> you like won't a couple see. months in. I'm, I've been there a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> You've been a couple? No psychiatrist. Yeah. You won't see the guy who blew this war, who sent two few people in who had no plan who basically said oh this will take a few weeks maybe at most a few months they'll meet us with candy and flowers yep. his words yeah they'll greet us with candy and flowers and you don't want to see them and they're going like what's wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah they sent a colonel i mean like they didn't send me like some you know brand new a uh, you know resident uh, 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 captain. They send me a full bird colonel psychiatrist, like the head of the department, to come see me. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I you know I did a lot of USO tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, I learned a lot on the. I want to ask you about this because I know you're on armed services, and uh, I took a a Codel trip with uh, Carl Levin uh, my first year there. Uh, to Afghanistan and met with the ambassador, stayed at the embassy, met with the ambassador. I met Karzai. I spent time with McChrystal. I went to a forward operating base. I, I, I met with a general who was trading, uh, training the Afghan troops. I learned nothing. They just told me what I was, they were told to tell me basically. And none, nothing they, <laughs> nothing they told me actually happened and came true. But I felt like when I did the USO tours and you must be serving there, my God, I felt I learned a lot more. I mean, I, we would go to these defects, to the dining facilities for our listeners, uh, you know, three, four times a day. And we'd be there for almost a couple of weeks. And I could see guys who wanted to talk. Yeah. And I'd hear everything. I'd hear everything. I'd hear guys who were gung-ho. I'd hear guys who hated the war but or against the war but were there for their buddies, right? Like you, I think. Yeah, I hated the war. I didn't agree with the war in Iraq, but I was not going to shirk my post and certainly was not going to let my unit go off to war without me. Right. And that was uh, pretty much a leitmotif of yours when you were at Walter Reed, which is, I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to get back. I want to get back with my unit. Yeah, but Al, all the times that you went to Walter Reed, how many of the guys did not say that to you? How many of the troops that you talked to, every one of them said to you that they wanted to go back to their unit, right? A lot of them did. A lot of them yeah. did. It wouldn't, wouldn't be everybody, but mm -hmm. you were pretty vociferous about it. I mean, that impressed yeah. me. You were very vociferous about it. And this was very early on, I think. The first well, time was, I saw you. This was hot. This is the t it was hot in Iraq. I mean, hot as in the, the battles were hot. I Right then, you know, Al, it was, it was, I got hurt during the second battle for, for Fallujah. And was this 04? This was 04, end of 04, November of 04. And mm -hmm. frankly, I felt guilty being at Walter Reed with my buddies still in harm's way. And I was safe and people were bringing me gifts and saying nice things to me. And my, my buddies were still getting shot at. It, it sounds like it's easy to make you feel guilty. <laughs> I don't know. 
<laughs> you know, as, as an officer, you know, as a soldier, you don't want your buddies in harm's way and you're safe. I know, but you lost two legs. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> like, I, feel good. I didn't say it was logical. <laughs> and I was kind of medicated at the time. Well, no, I wasn't kind. Of, I was medicated at the yeah, time. Yeah, it sounded so. like you were medicated a lot. And the worst part... <laughs> One of the worst parts to me was the, the antibiotics because you got some kind of common bacteria that are infection. Yeah, Acetobacter. Uh-huh. It's a it's a antibiotic resistant bacteria that like ninety five percent. If you had open wounds in Iraq, ninety five percent of the troops um, with wounds came back with it. Yeah. So you're getting this all the time, and it's making you nauseous. So you can't eat, or you don't want to eat. I gotta say. It- <laughs> It, it sounded unpleasant. It was. <laughs> it yes. was unpleasant, yeah. That's, that's why there's the, a whole chapter called Own the Suck in the book. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Own the Suck. We're talking to Tammy Duckworth. We're going to be back right after this message. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Let me ask you about what's going on now in the Senate. Yeah. Let's talk about... I guess it looks like you got one more crack at a reconciliation, right? Yep. Yep. And what's that going to be? Infrastructure, you think? That'll be infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in order to do anything else, like, you know, um, Senate Bill 1, which is the Voting Rights Act, I mean, there's no way. There's (laughs) You have to be pretty creative to justify the Voting Rights Act as a a budget bill. Yeah, that's that's not going to – parliamentarian isn't going to allow that. Yeah, so that we'll have to we'll have to change the filibuster. Um, and well, you got you got this guy Mansion and Cinema. Yeah, and this is what I think Mansion may be doing, and I don't know this for sure. Uh, but I, I carefully read his op-ed in uh, the Washington Post about this, mm-hmm. in which he said he doesn't want to end the filibuster or weaken it. And but then he did say something about the Republicans have to. <laughs> uh, he wanted to get to regular order, basically, where yeah. you write bills in committee, they go to the floor, you have open amendments, you vote on the amendments, and then you vote on the bill. That's the way we used to do things, right? I have no idea. I've never seen that either when I was in the House or the Senate. <laughs> I've never seen this phenomenon called regular order. Yeah, we actually kind of did that. Now, to me, looking at the Republicans and the way they have uh, behaved uh, for the last several years, for years, that ain't going to happen. So I don't know if, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, liberals who criticize Joe, they have to realize that if Joe weren't there, we wouldn't be in the majority. Exactly. And he's from a state that went for Trump by 40%. Yep. So God bless him. And he's a politician. And I don't know this for sure, but I think he's basically saying to the Republicans, let's see you play ball. 
You know, there's all this thing like, well, Biden has to work with the Republicans. Hey, the Republicans have to work with Biden. A little bit. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. Not- I mean, and, and, they, and the next thing that's on the agenda is going to be the infrastructure package, and that's something that they should want. Now, we've broken out the water infrastructure package because I got to lead that, and it's coming up this week. Um, that passed out of committee unanimously, so I think we're going to move that on its own. Um, so we know that Republicans like infrastructure and they want and need infrastructure. So let's see them play ball. But there's always the talking filibuster too, right? So and Manchin has left the door open for that. He said, "Well, I would I would consider a talking filibuster potentially." Yes, I mean I have proposed with Norm Ornstein, and I think this is now out there pretty much changing it from we need sixty to stop a filibuster to they need forty one to continue. A filibuster. So, in other words, mm-hmm. it's the same number, right? Yep. It's just you got to get forty other people 41, to agree that forty-one you're a filibuster. Well, you would be one, and then you need forty other people to agree with you that you want to maintain the filibuster, right? Right, right. And you'd have to show up, yeah, as opposed to just say, "I have one guy saying I object," <laughs> and then and then you and have then, to come up with sixty. No, this means you have to. The point of the filibuster was is if the minority really cares about something, they can filibuster. Mm-hmm. But right now, all they have to do is somebody has to say, I object, and you got a filibuster. And that right. that's not what it was. Correct. Yeah, they can they can they can go home and go on vacation or go to Cancun. Exactly. The, the first week I was there, did you serve with Jim Bunning at all? No. No, I didn't. Oh, was he a crabby guy? <laughs> Oof. Wow. Anyway, so and uh, so I, I'm there. The first week I'm there, we go to do the Thursday votes. As you know, uh, our audience may or may not know, that's the last vote of the week. And then you go there to the subway to go your office and then go to the airport and go to your state and work, you know, do the weekend. So this, I'm there the first week, and I did not know that Jim was a grumpy guy. So I said, hey, Jim, uh, have a great weekend. I'll see you on Monday. And he goes... I don't have to be here on Monday. It's a going to be a cloture vote. <laughs> and then I, I said, well, Jesus, that's okay. So they don't have to even show up. And they're filibustering, but we, we're the, the burdens on us. And at that point, we had 59 because Teddy was sick. Th- this is going to take some while to play out. But I hope you're right. I mean... Trump talked about, remember every week was uh, infrastructure yeah. week with him? And yeah. and he was the big builder, remember? Right? He's a big builder. Yeah. And he was going to do a trillion-dollar infrastructure bill. And yeah. never got to it at all. And you'd think he would, everyone would be for that, especially with him. I mean, you know, we yeah. would have been for it. Anyway. They could never get their act together. Instead, they well, I mean, the way that they originally said they were going to pay for it was to lower the tax rate to get, dollars that companies are keeping overseas repatriated but then when they got that when they got the deal instead of taking that trillion dollars from overseas money to you know that but that corporations are bringing back to the, the u.s instead of putting that into infrastructure they just gave it back to the large corporations and the riches of the rich who then turn around and use it to buy back stocks that's right and they got richer no it's quite i mean yeah. there's no excuse i don't know what what you guys can do in terms of getting these Republicans, I mean, it sounds like on the crime bill, maybe there, there's some cooperation. It'd be nice to see some of that. But what what I saw, like, on the COVID Relief Act, which is, you know, the, the 10 of them come to the White House and they counter $1.9 trillion with $600 billion. Mm-hmm. Why is that serious? Why is that, like, we're we're going to work with you? Yeah, I listen. It boggles the mind that not a single Republican, not a single one, voted for the American Rescue Plan. All the things they voted against, you know, they voted against more money for immunizations. They voted against money to get our public schools open. They voted against putting fourteen hundred dollars into people's pockets so that they can pay their back rent and and their utility bills. And it was amazingly popular with the American people, like desperately almost seventy percent. And by the way, Janet Yellen said, "If we don't get this out the door, we go into a recession. We go into a free fall." And that's what she's saying about 
the infrastructure package that we're looking at. You know, she's saying, listen, you need to pass this because this will stimulate the economy. If you don't do this, we will be stuck in stagnation for as long as, you know, several years. You get this infrastructure bill out, this money, yeah, it's got a big price tag, but it's not going to go to, you know, companies that are buying back stocks, right? This money will go into- It goes to infrastructure. It will go to infrastructure. It's going to go into like every local community. You know, it's going to go not just to fix the pothole in front of your, your, you know, the road in Main Street. It's going to go to the diner on Main Street because the people who work on that pothole are going to go eat at that diner. This money goes into the economy, will actually generate growth. It, it really goes to things like, I'll go to communities where- the train track is between the hospital and the town <laughs> and like, and they have a, 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 a train that's, that takes 20 minutes to go with, with carrying oil and the ambulance has to wait there for 20 minutes. I mean, it, and so you, what you want to do is build an underpass, you know, it, it, there's all, and you want our airports to like at least resemble in quality the airports in Europe and all of that stuff. At the end of the day, you'll get a world class infrastructure. That's what we need. And you'll have people have jobs in the meantime. Oh, oh, I know what I wanted to ask you. Holly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to laugh because I have a dark yeah. sense of humor. I know you do too. I do. Okay. I do. I mean. But okay, uh, for, for the listener, he is uh, the only one who voted <laughs> against extending hate crime law to ethnic Asians, right? Yep. Yep. All we did was, you know, we passed legislation that basically made sure that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders were a recognized group that are on the receiving end of hate crimes and asking for a bigger look into um, the Justice Department's data to see how many crimes involving Asian Americans were actually hate crimes who were never reported as such. And he voted against that. And the only one. One, one, one guy. Okay. So <laughs> uh, that's what was his reasoning exactly? Did you did you go up to him afterwards and go like, "Hey, I disagree with you." <laughs> oh, but we're pals, he, he did right? one of those pop his head in the back, thumbs down, and then popped out again, <laughs> kind of vote right at the end too. So you know, I think what he has said in public is he was worried about freedom of speech okay. because you know if you if you if you use a racial slur against an Asian while you're committing a crime. That's one of the signals that it's a hate crime. But he says, well, that's freedom <laughs> okay. of speech. So, so like, that's, oh. that is actually the signal that it is a hate crime. <laughs> right. Right. Otherwise, it could be just a garden variety robbery or something, right? Yeah. But yeah. then if you add, <laughs> if you use your freedom of speech to say something racist. <laughs> yeah. Then it becomes a that's hate crime. The, yeah. That he was oh, worried man. about the freedom of speech implications. That's bizarre. I remember uh, Rand Paul, one of the first votes he cast was one of these where he was the only one to vote against something. <laughs> and it was, okay, it was this. Uh, there was a certain point where people were shining lasers into mm -hmm. uh, the cockpits pilots. of, yeah. yeah, the blind pilots as they were landing at airports to make that illegal and make it a crime, a federal crime, past 99 to 1, and, and Rand Paul voted against it. And I, kind of, I went up to him, I said, what the hell was that? And he goes, well, that should be up to the states. And I said, what could be more interstate commerce than an airport, than a fly? <laughs> <laughs> the fluid from somewhere else. <laughs> I can't think of anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. But in his defense, sometimes he goes so far right, he ends up on the left and helps us in votes here and there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, he'll be for being able to smoke pot or that kind yeah. of stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. And for prison reform, maybe, I think. Yep. Yep. Right? He goes so far right and so far libertarian that he comes back on the left. So. Yeah. God bless him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not really. No, <laughs> God bless everyone. Uh, okay, this uh, George Floyd uh, crime bill, the uh, police and, I don't know, what's uh, Justice and Policing Act? Um, yep, yep. insight into that, what's going on with that? 
Well, that is actually in some um, negotiations right now where it may actually be um, moving a little bit. So Cory Booker is leading it up this time. All that he said has been very cryptic, but I mean, she's like, I'm hopeful we're engaging in some productive uh, negotiations. That's all I got to say. That's all I want to say. So it's something that could move. And I, I guess um, there, are, there are Republicans who are actively engaging with him and negotiating it. And I've got something in that bill as well, which I think is something that Republicans should be able to support. My um, Police Education and Independent Investigation Act, that's been looped into that. And what that does is it creates grant money for police forces so that they can use it for training. And the training must include um, understanding about um, racial um, inequities and potential um, racist structures within society. So if you do police training, it would also involve that component. And then the big part of the bill is actually um, mandatory independent investigations of police-involved shootings and um, violence. So that usually what happens, it's the local district attorney's office mm-hmm. that will come in and investigate when there's a police-involved shooting, for example. But that local district attorney's office relies on that same right. police department to, to, to help them win cases. Yeah. yeah. And so my bill would actually require any time there's a police-involved shooting or, or, or um, violence that uh, an independent in, a board comes in. And that's one that I don't see it. How could anybody you know, disagree with that? Yeah. Um, the, the, the President Obama had a, a task force on, on this, and um, we actually had uh, Charles Ramsey, who was the former police chief from Philadelphia, and and DC mm-hmm. on that, and they had a number of these kind. One about uh, sensitivity to ethnic and language and mm-hmm. race uh, of your community. Yes, um, and encouraging that. So that's what you're talking about, right? I am. Yes, and and that you know there are also things that have to do with people with disabilities as well. A lot of people who are um, hearing impaired are victims of police-involved violence just because the police officer is shouting at them and they can't hear and they're they're not responding and the police officers don't realize this is someone who is hard of hearing and so um the hard of hearing actually are um have a much higher percentage of being involved in police involved shootings and 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 violence and there there needs to be training there needs mm-hmm. to be a force as reflective of the community including language Right. Including language. Exactly. And then also, you know, what we need is is more funding for programs so that a lot of the times when somebody calls 911 and they're asking for help, they don't need a police officer. They need a substance abuse specialist to come to the door. They need a mental health you know, specialist who knows where there is a mental health bed that you know the person in your family is having a, a crisis can go to. Well, you know. it's crisis intervention training yeah. is what we're talking about there. And it's interesting. Um, we had on this podcast uh, Judge Steve Leifman from Miami-Dade, and they basically have really emphasized crisis intervention training. And they have crisis intervention teams, including the 911 operators. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're saying, like, someone calls 911, sometimes when someone calls and there's a domestic dispute and you want to send someone, they ask a certain list of questions. And depending on the answers, they may send a social worker. Yes. As opposed to sending cops, which is really smart. And uh, they have crisis intervention teams all over the place in Miami, and they've reduced the number of shootings in Miami from like 90 over a five-year period to like 16 over the last five-year period. Wow. So it, it, it's there's lots of stuff to do here. Now, qualified immunity, is that a sticking point or is that something? Yeah, that's a sticking point. That's, I think, where they're negotiating. That's where, the, you know, a big chunk of the negotiation is happening. That's an issue about whether you can um, sue a cop, right? Right. And I think the compromise might be that you can sue the police force. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to the cop. Exactly. So that might, so, so I know you can't talk much more about it or any, any more about it, you know, but I, I think there, there's hope here, right? There's hope. That, that's the key thing is that there is hope. The hope is that the Republicans are still at the table and they're still negotiating. And the issue of qualified immunity is definitely uh, one of the key sticking points. But 
we're still negotiating on it. So they've not walked away from that. Well, that, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, uh, congratulations on the book. It's a bestseller. It is. The New York Thank Times you. bestseller. And yeah, I've never, <laughs> never written anything. So this is great. Well, it's very you. I mean, I must say uh, it's very your voice, very your story, obviously. But um, uh, I enjoyed enjoyed reading it and um, glad I'm in it. I'm, I got that little thing where I look good. I look good in it. Yeah, you're in it because you were there for me at Walter Reed and you weren't using me as part of the MPT petting zoo. You were there for me and you thanked me for being grievously wounded. So, <laughs> Well, thanks again for being grievously wounded. That'll be the second time in this interview. <laughs> and thank you the third time. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.